Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, February 17th, we're studying Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 50. Jesus has been teaching and performing various miracles, but the unbelief of the scribes and Pharisees remains hardened against the Lord. What sign will he offer to this evil and adulterous generation? Only one, the sign of Jonah. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appold. Pastor Appold serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appold, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me back on. Sure. So as, as we get started this morning, give us some context. Where have we been in Matthew's Gospel that's going to take us into the text today? Yeah, I think we're we are kind of launching into the middle, or uh, I don't know if we're launching, we're dropping in uh, right into um, the middle of a conversation, and it's pretty heated. Um, I, I think you're going to see, I think you mentioned there in your intro a little bit, um, there's going to be some pretty harsh words spoken. And so I think before we come to those words, it's good just to see, you know, that this is in the middle of, a, um, maybe not the middle of a conversation, but the middle of Jesus's interaction with um the scribes and the Pharisees. That's who's going to be sort of uh, asking him questions here. And if you if you put this in the the broader context of the whole of Matthew's gospel, I think that's helpful too for for your listeners. Um, you're we're sort of in the in the middle. I know that there's 20, if you have an idea of the number of chapters, you might not uh, feel like you're in the middle of Jesus's ministry. It's chapter 12 out of what 28. Um, but if you remember that. Uh, a big majority, a big chunk of those chapters is focused at the very end, the last week of Christ's life. Then I think it's it's um, a good thing to conclude here. Jesus is right in the middle of his ministry. He's been active teaching and healing, uh, doing exorcisms, which is going to come up in our conversation here today. Um, my point in saying that, Tim, is that he's not, this isn't his first um, kind of inaugural um, address. He's been active. He's kind of a known quantity, at least to some extent. Um, people know who he is. The Pharisees, the scribes, they know him. They know some of the things he's been teaching and doing, um, but they're wanting more. They're not satisfied with what he's been doing. That that introduction helps to the background of the questions that we're going to hear. These, I think sometimes we try to put the best construction on these questions, maybe farther than the Eighth Commandment would require us to do. These are not innocent yeah, questions right. that are being posed to Jesus right. today. He, he's a known quantity, and this is coming in the midst of growing opposition towards Jesus. And that's that's going to be important as we, yeah. we dig in, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's especially, um, I think some of some of our listeners are going to be familiar, uh, maybe some not, but um, there's there's this very um, pointed interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees where he is, um, he's just driven out a demon. He's exercised a man. And uh, the Pharisees say, well, he is, he's doing this by the power of the devil, right? Or by the, by the prince of demons, Beelzebul. And so they are charging Christ with um, being himself possessed or being an agent of Satan. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how <laughs> how much more of an insult or how much more uh, aspersion somebody could cast on Christ's ministry than to say, yeah, all this stuff he's doing, that's the devil's work, right? Um, that's the only reason that he has power over, um, you know, the demons and can command them to come out of people. And so that's, that is um, kind of the immediate context. I kind of gave you the big broad context, but sort of the immediate context here is this whole discussion about um, how is it that Jesus is casting out demons? Is he an agent of the devil or is he an agent of, um, of God? And that, and that, that's important as the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus with this, this question or this request for a sign, right? He's just done something for you, and now you're asking for more, right? We, yeah. we have to keep that in mind, right. and that helps us to understand why, as you, you said, we're going to see some very pointed, harsh words from Jesus 
in that context, that's that's why he's he's been having a conversation here. It's, we're not just starting one right here, but he's this is a part of that broader right. context, and and the sin that they're committing right now. I mean that as as we we heard previously, right? That's the the sin the the sin against the Holy Spirit, and so this is this is serious stuff that Jesus is talking about here, and that that conversation is continuing now with the scribes and the Pharisees as as the text moves forward. I'm going to go ahead and read the text, Pastor Apple, and we'll, we'll yep. start digging in. Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's the text for today. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 50. As the, the conversation between the scribes and the Pharisees continues here, Pastor Appold, the question, the request that they have is for a sign, which is something that we encounter often, I think, in the biblical narrative. What's the request for a sign, is it necessarily bad? How do we see this come up in other places in Scripture? Yeah, uh, as I was kind of preparing for this, I was thinking of there are a number of places where um, signs are given, and it's not a bad thing, right? Um, if you if you think back uh, through maybe some of the big stories of the Old Testament, um, when Moses uh, is called by God and sent by him from the burning bush, God tells him, you know, you know, he gives him uh, his name, you know, so if the children of Israel ask you, what is God's name? You tell them, I am who I am, right? That's a pretty powerful thing. But um, Moses says, well, what if they still don't believe me? And so God says, well, then you do these signs. And people should remember, you know, the sign of throwing down his staff on the ground, and it turns into a snake, and he picks it back up, uh, and it's back to a staff. Um, then Moses also has the sign where he can put his hand into his uh, cloak, pulls it out, it's leprous, and he puts it back in, and it's back to normal. Um, so signs, uh, even with Moses, the, that sign that he performed there was God-given. So God is not completely opposed uh, to giving signs. And I think you you can see, too, there's, there's times even when the prophets say, this is a, a pretty uh, memorable one, I think, um, when the prophets tell people, ask for a sign, and it'll be given to you, right? So Isaiah comes to the king and says, and he says to him, ask for a sign, let it be as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. And uh, the king sort of fakes his piety and says, oh, I couldn't possibly put God to the test. Um, so, and then Isaiah prophesies uh, the virgin birth, right? Um, but anyways, those are just examples for us to see that sometimes God actually wants to give a sign. Sometimes he says, ask for a sign. Um, but then other times, uh, the, the demand for a sign can be a, um, an excuse to not believe. And that's really what you have with the Pharisees here. Um, Jesus has been busy doing all kinds of signs, right? He's been healing all kinds of people. He's been teaching with authority. He's been casting up demons, and the Pharisees say, yeah, we're just, you know, we're still not convinced. We're not impressed. Do something else, right? And it's almost like they're, they're putting Jesus on the spot. Hey, prove who you are. Prove who you are, who you say you are, and, uh, and we're going to be the judge of whether your sign is good enough or not.
Right. So this this request is not an innocent, we're not sure, Jesus. This is, I mean, maybe even along the lines of what Satan did to Jesus in chapter 4 of Matthew, where he says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones yep. to become bread. Sure. I mean, a, a very similar yep. thing seems to be happening here, which I think that fits in the yep. context, right? When we've been just talking about demons and, and such things, and that's going to stay in the context. They call Jesus teacher. That's usually not a good sign in, in Matthew's gospel that, that they would address him as a teacher, <laughs> yeah. right, instead of Lord. So this is not an innocent question, in other words. Yeah, and, and um, if, you, if you think of the whole—this um, is, this is part of the reaction that the, the Pharisees have to Jesus, and you can see this through his ministry. Um, their reaction to him is going to become increasingly hostile. Um, so they're going to do this again— in chapter 16, I think, so just in a couple chapters, there's going to, again, be a demand for a sign, right? And that comes after he's fed the 5,000, and I think it's even after he's fed the 4,000, too. So, again, Jesus, it's not that he never performed signs, but he wasn't a, um, I, I like to put it this way, he wasn't like a, he wasn't a magician walking around just for the, for the entertainment of people. Right. Um, When he performs these signs and these miracles and these healings, it's always for the benefit of people's faith and not just to kind of scratch an itch or, um, you know, kind of, hey, prove who you are. And you can see this, that theme of that hostility to Jesus um, really becomes pronounced when he's hanging on the cross, because, again, there you have um, prove it. Right. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Right. Save yourself. Prove prove that you can, you know, that you have uh, almighty power by stepping down from the cross. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Jesus doesn't say no to their request, does he? He does talk about a sign, although before he before, well, maybe before he gives what the sign's going to be, <laughs> what what does he call what does he call these these people asking for for this sign? Yeah. He, he calls them a, 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 well, I always think of it in the, I think this is the King James language, a, a crooked and perverse generation, mm. um, but a wicked one. They are, they're wicked. And I think that that gets to what we're, we've already mentioned here, is that this is not a question, um, how should we put it, asked in good faith, right? Like, oh, you know, Jesus, we're really struggling with who you are, and, and you know, can you can you do a miracle for us? Or, or compa- yeah, compare it with some of the other miracles, right? The other miracles come out of a place of need, right? So a father whose son is demon-possessed will come to Jesus and say, you know, my son's life is in danger. Can you, can you heal him? Or um, people who are sick, you know, the, the friends who bring their paralyzed friend and drop him through the roof to Jesus. There's this pressing need, and it's almost like Jesus, um, you know, can't help but respond to that need. But here, there's no pressing need. Um, it's just they want they they're looking for reasons not to believe, almost right. It, and so their question, even though it sounds like you know, yeah, maybe this is a question of faith, it's really a question of unbelief. So he does then say there is a sign, but there's only one. He's very specific as to what this sign is, and he says yeah. the only sign that's going to be given is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And, and Jesus begins to explain that. Uh, Pastor Appledwood, I think we need to talk a little about, well, who, who is Jonah? What do we know about him from the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. How is Jesus making use mm-hmm. of that? Just get that conversation started for us. Sure. Um, so he, he calls Jonah the prophet, right? So he's obviously lining himself up here. And, and uh, you can see this is where we would talk about um, typology, um, that in the Old Testament, you have not only... Um, verbal prophecies, you know, um, say predictions about what um, Christ will be when he comes. Um, But you also have kind of, if you can want to think of it this way, visible prophecies. So some of the prophets, um, the kings, the priests, and other events even, um, and institutions in the Old Testament um, were visible prophecies um, of what Jesus would be and what he would do when he came. And so in the life of, of Jonah, you have this, um, certainly in his prophetic office, right? Jesus is the greater prophet. Um, but also Jonah gives this very vivid um, picture in his own life of someone who is, um, you know, buried, as it were, in the whale um, or the great fish, right? He goes down into the depths 
Um, he's, for all intents and purposes, dead there, and he comes back. And so Jesus is using that uh, here as a, as a way of saying, look, I am, gonna, I am um, modeling myself after Jonah. Or maybe we could, could put it the other way around. Jonah is really modeled after me. So just to be clear then, when Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah that's going to be given, he's talking about his resurrection, right? I, yes, I think his death and his resurrection here. He's going, and he, he mentions, you know, burying, being buried in the heart of the earth. Um, and you get the, you know, even the length of days is described by Jesus, right? So um, this, is, this is a great verse to go to to see, look, Jesus knew um, from the scriptures, he knew what his mission was. He wasn't kind of stumbling, stumbling along and figuring it out as he went along. Um, there may have been, you know, if you, if you could get into the mind of Jesus, um, I, I don't think that that's usually very helpful as you're reading the Bible, as you're reading the Gospels, but perhaps there was kind of a, a greater clarity that came to him, um, but he knows what's happening. He knows that he's opposed. He knows that he's going to die and that these things must be in accordance with the Scriptures. But that's not all that Jesus has to say about Jonah. It's not just this three days, three nights in the, in the belly of the fish, so now the Son of Man, three days and three nights in the earth, death and resurrection. There's, there's more to it. Jesus keeps going, and, and he brings up particularly the preaching of Jonah which I, I think is, I think that's pretty important. And, and I, I'm drawing now from Luke's gospel, but, but the same thing in terms of what we've been saying with signs, that they have to be received with faith. The same thing is, is true of the resurrection itself, that the resurrection has to be received in faith because of what you heard preached, right? And, and so, so Luke 16, yeah. right? You, you hear, you know, they won't believe, if they don't listen to most in the prophets— they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. So the, the preaching of Jonah and the, consequently the preaching of Jesus is intimately tied in with this sign. What's, what's this connection Jesus is making with Jonah's preaching? Yeah, well, it's, yeah, that's an interesting point to make because um, if you think back to Jonah, um, Jonah is, you know, he's running away from Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And so the, uh, when, when he's thrown off the boat and he's swallowed by the fish and he gets spit out, um, that doesn't happen in the, in the sight of the people of Nineveh, right? They don't see any of that take place. And we're not even told if Jonah goes into Nineveh and he says, hey, everybody, you need to listen to me because, you know, I was in the belly of a fish and I got spit back out. So I have authority, right? I'm sent by God. We don't even know if he mentions it. Um, and so it's kind of interesting that Jesus says, you know, you're going to, there's, there is a sign that's coming. It's the resurrection, right? Um, but who, who witnessed the resurrection? Nobody, you know, the, the guards at the tomb were asleep when it happened. Um, it's, only, it's only in hindsight that anybody can see, yeah, the tomb is empty. And then, of course, Jesus, you know, he, he appears to his disciples. He comes and he visits them. But that sign um, is sort of an, an it's, a, it's not the kind of sign that Jesus did in front of everybody, like, again, like a magic trick, like, look at this, I can pull a rabbit out of the hat. See, now you got to believe me. Um, but, but what you're pointing out is that these signs were always connected to um, the preaching, to the message, right? So the, the sign, what's the purpose of, of Christ's miracles? I think that this is a good thing to bring out. Um, they, it wasn't just that he was um, trying to heal everybody because Jesus, surely he passed over many people who he could have healed, right? Um, you know, if you're the son of God and you're walking around on earth, everywhere you look, somebody needs help, right? And Jesus didn't help everybody through his, you know, physical healings. He helped everybody through his cross and resurrection. And that uh, sign then is meant to how should I put this, lend credibility uh, to his message, or, or it bolsters the message. But the point is, believe the words, right? Don't look for signs, look at the words and the message, because that's where the true, um, that's where the true healing and the true ministry of Jesus continues to be at work. Right, and I think even apart from the words, the signs don't do anything. And, and in fact, the signs Harden faith, or harden faith, harden unbelief, right? I mean, think about, so I'm thinking back to, to Matthew chapter 9, where you've got the paralytic in front of Jesus, 
and he forgives Jesus forgives the man's sins and and the Pharisees don't don't like that and they think Jesus is blaspheming and so so Jesus says okay well to show you that I'm I'm actually doing the forgiveness of sins here I'm going to I'm going to actually you know make this man walk but that that only serves to harden them I mean that's that's really maybe the beginning of their opposition and it, it just it keeps going I think too um Oh, John, John the Baptist, when he's in prison and, and he's, you know, he's wondering, are, are you really the guy? And Jesus gives him those list of signs. And then the very last one doesn't sound like much of a sign at all, but it's that the poor would have good news preached to them. So apart from the preaching, I don't think the sign really does you any, any good. And if you don't, if you don't believe the preaching, well, sure. I mean, I guess, you know, you're healed. That's good. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to deny that, but, but it hasn't done you the full good that Jesus intends with, if you don't have the preaching. Yeah. Right. Well, and isn't that exactly, I mean, you, what you just said is, is what Jesus is going to say when he's describing this whole, you know, this unclean spirit and the waterless places. Basically, he's describing, hey, um, if, if your house doesn't get occupied, things are going to get worse for you, right? And so the healing, um, the last state of a man can be worse than the first, even if something good happens to him in the middle. And if you, if you, connect that with faith then i mean what good did it do the pharisees to to watch jesus and to observe everything that he did and to listen to everything that he said um without faith it instead of um you know helping them it only made their darkness even darker mm-hmm. so th- jesus then and the point of the pointing of bringing up jonah is that look what happened when jonah preached and and I, I was flipping back and then we got talking and I got distracted. But but Jonah, his his sermon, at least that's recorded for us in the Old Testament, is really short, right? And it's it's very yeah, uh, right. it's like yeah. repent or or you're gonna be overthrown in forty days, right? I think that's yeah. I think that's that's the whole of his his sermon. And and man, you know, I mean if you or I preach that, Pastor Abel, we'd probably get run out of run out of church. Um but uh, but Jonah, right, Jonah, that that word of God proved effective there in Nineveh. They repented, even even up to the very king. And so the, the point of yeah. comparison Jesus is making, I think, is what we would call from the from the lesser to the greater. If this was true right. for Jonah in his time, and he was a prophet, how much more should this be true for Jesus, who is not just a prophet, but the Son of God in the flesh? Right. And, and this is a common way Jesus says it, um, just like you said there, um, something greater than Jonah is here, something greater than Solomon is here. I think it's earlier in chapter 12 where he says the same thing about the temple, something greater than the temple is here. Um, so always this movement from Old Testament, um, the book of Hebrews puts it this way, uh, from shadows to reality or from um, yeah, the lesser to the greater. That's the movement of Old to New Testament. And the result then is that um, the teaching of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus, is uh, both a, a better or a clearer preaching, but it also um, requires, or it it comes with, um, how should I, how do I want to put this? It comes with a, um, more more weight to it. There's more gravity to it, right? So if you reject Jonah, or if you reject the prophets of old, you know, there's another prophet who comes along. But if the words of Jesus are rejected, well, he's the fine, he's the ultimate prophet. There's no, but there's not another one coming after him. This is um, I love the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews has these very striking, um, these very striking passages that talk about um, the the greatness of Christ and the greatness of the revelation that's come with him. But it also has then the severity that's attached to that is if you reject this. There's nothing else. There's not another sacrifice coming. There's and in in this context, there's not a, a greater preacher than Jesus coming. He's the he's the ultimate. And and I think too, because the the Pharisees, the scribes, would have would have said, well, sure, we believed what Jonah preached, or they would have recognized Jonah as a true prophet. Or earlier in, in chapter twelve, where where Jesus brings up the example of David in the temple, and he brings up the priests in the temple. If you'd asked the scribes and Pharisees, they would have probably said, well, sure, we we recognize David as a man of God. We recognize the the priests in the temple as doing God's work. They would have accepted these mm-hmm. things. And, and Jesus, I think, would also be saying here then, you you can't claim to believe what's there in the Old Testament and reject me at the same time. If you claim to yeah. believe the Old Testament and the preaching that's there, then 
necessarily you you have to believe me because I'm the fulfillment of all of it. We, we got yeah. just about a minute left yeah, here right. on the side of the break, Pastor Pastor Apple. Yeah, this is um, this is the great passage in John comes to mind as you're talking there. Uh, Jesus says to I think it's the scribes and Pharisees again. Um, you search the scriptures because uh, you think in them you have life, but Moses wrote about me. And so, um, you know, if you want to understand the Old Testament, you have to, the best way to do that is to read the New Testament, right? What's hidden in the Old is made, uh, is made clear in the New. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're looking at the last several verses of Matthew chapter 12, Pastor David Appold. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Monday, February 17th, we're studying Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 50 with Pastor David Appold of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appled, prior to the break, we were looking at the preaching of Jonah. Jesus makes this comparison to, to Jonah, says that he's someone greater than Jonah. And he does a, a similar move. Then he, he brings up the queen of the south, and he talks about the wisdom of Solomon. He, he says something greater than Solomon is here. What's yeah. the Old Testament background here that Jesus is bringing up that he's going to say he is now greater than? Yeah, so um, he switches from talking about a prophet, Jonah, uh, to talking about a king, Solomon. And it's interesting because the, uh, the sort of, I think the, the first question, give us a sign. Okay, Jesus talks about um, Jonah is a prophet and he had a sign. Well, Solomon, now, now we're, we're moving in the sort of the logic of Jesus's answer here. He's, he's again, driving at um, my words, right? Um, if you're rejecting my words and you just want the signs without the words, that's the way you put it, uh, a little before, and I think that's helpful. It's not going to do you any good. And so he talks about um, this this other great, and, and he, I don't know, Jesus probably could have picked from any number of examples here, um, but he, he uses this example of Solomon, who was renowned for his wisdom. Okay, and so uh, Jesus as the greater Solomon, there's a number of of passages that could support this. Um, the son of David, right? He's David's greater son, um, even greater than Solomon. He's going to have an eternal kingdom and not just a temporary one like Solomon. Um, but what Jesus clues in on is the wisdom of Solomon. And so this this uh, comes up. I, I don't know, have the exact reference in front of me, um, but once Solomon is installed as king, um, the the um, the message that there's this very wise king down in Israel goes out through the whole world. And this uh, queen of the south, I think she's the queen of, um, I think it's Sheba, but now I'm, I'm not as confident as I was <laughs> uh, when I was thinking of it. She comes up and visits Solomon. She listens to him. She sits in his court and kind of listens to him handling the cases that are brought to him. And she sees how he runs his kingdom. And she says, everything I heard is true, right? You are the wisest man in the world. And she gives him various gifts. And I think he gives her various gifts too. And uh, so again, Jesus says, look, that was the Old Testament, right? And that was a wonderful thing, but I've come with greater wisdom. I've come with, with a greater message and, um, you know, a greater kingdom than even Solomon had. You're correct. It is the Queen of Sheba, and it's recorded in First Kings okay, chapter good. 10. Yeah. Yeah, first Kings chapter 10. And in fact, they're in first King I flip back to it in first Kings chapter 10, she she even says that that the report didn't tell the half of it. That that what she saw and and heard there in his presence was was even greater than mm -hmm. what she'd heard. Mm -hmm. And and so again, here's Jesus, <laughs> greater than Solomon, wisdom incarnate as we we see in other places in scripture. I think of of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where where Paul calls Jesus, especially Jesus crucified, and risen, which is what the sign is, right? Um, he calls him the, the wisdom of God. And so that all yeah. of that coming together, 
again, the Pharisees and scribes don't need any other signs. They've, they've got Jesus right in front of them. They're listening to his preaching. And, and as one, one element of Jesus' answer here that we really haven't talked too much about yet, Pastor Apple, is this, this matter of the Ninevites and the, the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba herself, because Jesus says that, that both of those, the men of Nineveh and the Queen of the South, they are going to rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. What? Yeah. What? Why does he say yeah, he, that? And, and what does that mean? Right. Yeah. He. Uh, he. Um, I don't want to say he flies off the handle, Tim, because that's that's not what I mean. He, that that has a negative connotation. But um, again, remember, this is a confrontation, right? Jesus is not just, um, you know, the, the Pharisees and the scribes are not asking innocent questions, right? They're trying. They're they're purposely trying to. Um, belittle him. They're trying to degrade his ministry. They're, they're casting aspersions, right? And so he says, look, this, this matter is, is much more serious than it's, it's ultimately serious, right? Um, this is the, the response that people have to Jesus and his teaching, his preaching, his work, right? Uh, we should always connect Christ's word and his work. Um, the response people have to that is finally, um, you know, what the, what the judgment will be about. And so he, he sort of flash forwards, if you want to put it that way, he flash forwards and says, here's what's going to happen. At the end, the people who heard Jonah and repented, and the people who heard Solomon and believed or repented or trusted Solomon's message, they're going to look at you and say, how could you not have believed, right? You had the better thing. We had the inferior, we had the lesser, you had the greater, and you rejected it, you know. You're, you're getting what you deserve. How, how should we picture that at, at the last day? Should we picture some sort yeah. of confrontation, or is that maybe going a bit too far? Well, it seems, it seems like Jesus is describing something that's very public, doesn't it? Um, it's it's kind of, I, I don't know how um, exact we can be. You know, is Jesus describing um, exactly what's going to happen, or is is it just kind of the the idea is going to be that you know he certainly is conveying the idea that um, the the final judgment is going to be based on my words, right? Um, now, I think his words. I, I don't think he's speaking metaphorically or something. It sounds like there's going to be this very public thing. And you're going to see, we're all going to see each other and exactly what kind of interactions we have with one another. I, I mean, I guess we'll find out when we get there. But these words make me think that there's going to be sort of some recognition um, by the whole court, right? It's not just going to be the judge gives the verdict and the court says, everybody who's looking on is like, well, I don't know if that was really the right sentence or maybe he should have, you know, he didn't consider the evidence quite right, you know, I think everybody's going to say, that's the right verdict, you know, mm. that there's no question of the judge's verdict in the end. Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good picture, that there's, there's a praise, by the, by the righteous, those who have repented and believed in Christ, that there is this praising of God for the just judgment that he gives on the last day. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's a good, a good way of picturing it. And as, as I was considering this, the, the, another passage that came to mind was um, Hebrews chapter 12, where you get that great cloud of witnesses. And I, I think I've always, I guess I've probably <laughs> probably already always pictured that more spiritually or, or less materially, physically, than I should have. I, I've always, and I, it's funny because, you know, I talk about how when we think of the resurrection, we think of, we need to think of physical things, right? Eternal life is going to be a physical reality. But when I picture that great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12, I'd never really think of it like that. But but now putting this passage together with that, and I think there's there's a connection. That, yeah, I, I think there's there's something to this this physicality of of the judgment, and there will be a, an audible praising of God for the the judgments that He hands out, which are good and right and just, because they're given in in Christ. Yeah, I, I think I like that, Pastor Apple. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's it's probably not so much a taunting, right? If if people are hearing this and thinking, well, does this mean that the righteous are going to taunt? you know, the wicked in the end. I don't think we're, we're in the realm of taunting, like, you know, the, the winning basketball team, like, you know, um, taunts the, the opposition. I don't think it's that so much as it is a recognition of the, the sentence is right. And when people hear a, a just verdict, 
um, it resonates and they say, that's right. That's no, no one can, no one is going to say, you know, this judge doesn't really know what he's talking about. It's, it's going to be evident and clear. His verdict is, is correct. Yeah, yeah. So as Jesus' answer moves on, because it, you know, in the ESV you get these nice headings that tell you, oh, this is maybe something different. But this is just Jesus continuing yeah, to talk right. here in verse forty-three. Seems that he he makes a, a total right turn or something. And we we brought this up briefly, but connect what Jesus is talking about with Jonah and Solomon, and and this answer he's given to the scribes and Pharisees with what he starts to talk about this unclean spirit going out and then being filled with with even worse. What's what's going on there? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, he, this is, we started our conversation here um, trying to, to connect the, the immediate context for, for our listeners, which is there's this whole debate. I don't know if debate's the right word for it, but there's this whole um, back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes who are saying he's, um, you know, he is casting out demons by the power of the devil. Okay. So now it's, it's almost like Jesus is, is turning from, the discussion of, you know, you've rejected my message to now let me explain to you what happens when, um, when a person is, is exercised and there's no, um, there's no faith that's implanted in that person. And he describes this um, very vividly, right? He describes this unclean spirit and, you know, it's, it's going through the wilderness, through this waterless place. It's traveling through the desert. I, you know, I don't, I don't have access to that, the spiritual realm, but Jesus does. And so he reveals this for us. This unclean spirit goes through the, the waste place, comes back to the person and checks in to see, hey, can I, can I take back over again? And if he finds the house um, cleaned up, swept up, and unoccupied, I think that's the crucial point. If the house is unoccupied, he's going to go get his buddies and they're going to move in and instead of one unclean spirit, now this guy has, um, well, if, he, if it was one plus his seven friends, well, that makes eight, right? So <laughs> the last state is worse than the first. What does that have to do? Here's, I think, you're, the question that you want me to answer um, is, what does that have to do with the scribes and the Pharisees? Am I right? Is that Yeah, is that what yeah that's, what, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. So if you, if you say, okay, well, Jesus just described what happens to a person who's exercised, what does that have to do with the scribes and Pharisees? I think that last sentence um, is, is important to see what's going on here. The final state of a person is worse than the first. So the, think of it, let me put it kind of um, big picture. The, the scribes and Pharisees have a front row seat to what Jesus is saying, what he's doing. They're watching it all, right? And he, they're seeing him drive out the demons and then there's no faith given to them, right? And so uh, in, a, in a way, their house has been swept up, um, put in order, but their own hearts are unoccupied. And so they are, um, you know, kind of prime picking for unclean spirits to come in. And so I think Jesus is, is using this, um, this very specific um, instance of what happens with an unclean spirit to talk about a, a broader process, which we might call the process of hardening, right? What happens to a person who sees and hears and, and watches everything Jesus has done and the witness of, to what he's done, but who doesn't believe it? Well, that person is, is in danger of, you know, of becoming hardened. So, and this is a question when we talk about hardening and, and you think of Pharaoh comes to mind, a question that many faithful Christians yeah. ask is, well, how, how do I know if that's not happening to me, Pastor Apple? How do, how do we answer that? Well, I think the, um, think of those, the three words that Jesus describes here um, of when, when the unclean spirit comes back to this man and he finds his house swept up and put in order. I, I think that the, the crucial word is unoccupied. If the house, if the body of a person, if the soul um, is unoccupied, that is, if the Holy Spirit does not reside there, and, you know, the work of the Spirit is to create faith. So um, if, if there is no faith present, um, a person is uh, not in a good condition, right? Now, the Holy Spirit can drive out 
one demon just as easily as he can drive out eight demons. You can think of Jesus um, and the the man who has a whole legion of demons. Um, But the point of Christ's teaching here is, look, this is is a grave matter. This is serious stuff. Um, This isn't Again, I, I keep going back to this. This isn't just, um, you know, a magic entertainer putting on a show for you, which you can either like on Facebook or pass over. This, this stuff, my words, my teaching, my, my work is of ultimate importance. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I mean, if, if a person is concerned about whether or not they're being hardened, is this, I mean, how do, how do Christians take that? Is that something? Should I be worried if I'm being hardened? How do I know if I'm being hardened or not? Well, yeah, I think one of the, one of the um, signs of, of being hardened is that you, uh, you don't ask that question, right? And so I think even the recognition of that question is a good one. Pharaoh is not sitting up late at night wondering if he's being hardened. Pharaoh is, is opposing um, the works that, that Moses is doing. He's opposing uh, the message that Moses is preaching to him. Uh, to use our example there. So um, now, that's probably not the only thing I would say, but that's a good starting spot, right? If, you, if you're concerned about, you know, being hardened, that's a good, that, that's a sign of humility, right? It's a sign of, um, of faith. And then I would point a person to, well, what, it, what are the ways that the Holy Spirit um, promises to work in a person's life? You know, how does he fill up the house, so to speak? Well, it's through the preaching of the gospel. Are you hearing the gospel and and believing the gospel? Are have you been baptized and do you trust those promises of God that were given to you? Are you receiving um, the Lord's Supper, which is our spiritual food, right? Um, and are you receiving it in faith? It's not like a um, you know, it's it's not a magical talisman kind of thing, but it is an effective um, means, not just a means of grace. I think our our listeners hopefully are familiar with that term uh, for the word and sacraments, but these are also the means of the Spirit. So, Pastor Appleton, as I think as the text moves on, so this is, this is the question that's, that's behind it. Well, how do I, how do I know? Am, am I a part of this evil generation, or is my house being filled with Christ and all of his good gifts? And, and the next group that enters the picture is, is Jesus' family. And so perhaps part of the, the move from one section of, of the text to the next is, is well, what does it mean then to be a part of Christ's household? Is it a, a matter of yeah. my physical blood or is there, is there something else? I mean, is that maybe the move from, from one section to the next? I hadn't thought of that, but I think you might be right. One of the, um, you know, as, as we're doing the work to prepare for the show, one of the questions always that I have in the gospels, in the epistles too, Paul, for some reason, you know, maybe my mind is just, uh, to think this way, but I always find the epistles to be a little more kind of logical progression, right? Paul is building an argument, and so he's, he's much more logical. Um, I, I think you understand what I mean, not that Jesus is illogical or something, but um, as you read the Gospels, I often have this experience the first time I read something, or I, if I just hear it in church on Sunday morning, I kind of scratch my head and say, but what, why did he say that? at that moment, you know, how does that really answer the question? And uh, the, what you just described is, I think, a, a helpful um, connection for us. Jesus has just got done kind of with the warning um, to the wicked uh, generation, those who've rejected his words, and now he's going to pass over to, or, or it raises the question then, well, how are we going to be saved from the evil generation? Um, what does the faithful generation look like? And that's what's described at the very end here. And and so to to help illustrate that point, then what does the faithful generation look like? A, another uh, character isn't a, a good word, but it's, it's the only one I got. Another character enters the the story, and it's one that we know, right? It's Jesus' own family, particularly his mother and his brothers. And and someone comes to yeah. Jesus and say, "Hey, hey, Jesus, your your family's out there, and they want to talk to you." <laughs> yeah. What I mean, this is this yeah. maybe strikes us as harsh. Well, it's it's kind of we we should make sure we understand like what's the implication, the what's the expected response of Jesus. I think they expect him to say, "Oh, sorry guys, got to go. Mom, got to talk with my mom and my brothers." Like surely, if anyone has privileged access to Jesus, it's his mom and his brothers. 
right? And then Jesus doesn't do what's expected. There's always a surprise here. And so the surprise that, and I think, I think you're right. I think it does kind of, um, what, offend modern sensibilities. Jesus says, no, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not tied to them because they are my blood relatives. Whoever does the will of God, that's my mother, my brother, my sister. Right? Though that is the tighter connection to Jesus that's closer than even um, his own flesh and blood. So, I mean, what are what are some of the implications of this, Pastor Apple? We got about seven minutes left here on the morning to to draw yeah, this out because well, I think I, there's I, a lot. Yeah, I think that it's important to to understand first of all what does it mean to do the work of my Father? Right? What what does Jesus mean that that is the mark of um, of a Christian, if we want to put it that way, that's that's what it means to belong to the family of Jesus. Um, there's a great parallel passage in John six where um, Jesus says, you know, don't work, don't do the work uh, for bread that perishes, but do the works of my Father. And they say, well, what is the work of your Father? And he says that you believe in uh, in me, whom he has sent. And so I think primarily this is about faith. Um, and faith in Jesus, right? Faith always has a, a particular object, um, the words and work of, of our Lord. And so that's the primary thing that's being referenced here, which, so then you look and say, well, who is it who believes in Jesus? This is what we mean when we talk about the church. So here you have kind of in Christ's own ministry, you have a, a picture of the Holy Christian Church. He stretches out his hand, right? This, he gestures to all those who are sitting around him, and, I, and he says, here's my family, here's my church. And I think that what that means for us is that the, the ties that we have by faith, and this is always a challenge, this is always um, a difficult thing, sometimes those ties that we have to Christ and to one another through Christ um, ought to transcend or be even tighter than the ties that we have to our own families. Right. Jesus, I think, and I'm trying to, he hasn't gotten here yet, I don't think, in Matthew's Gospel. He's going to talk about how the ties to him are tighter than the ties to family, and saying shocking words later. I mean, even even more shocking than mm -hmm. these, he, he talks about hating family members instead of, you know, if, if yeah. you don't, if you don't hate them, which, and, and we'll, we'll get there, but, but yeah, that the, the ties that we have to our brother Christ and our heavenly father and therefore all who are are in him, those are actually stronger than the ties that we yeah. have to our blood relatives is, is still think, a shocking thing today. Yeah. And, and okay. So I think most people would say, yes, I, I recognize my tie to Christ is tighter than my tie to, you know, my mom or my dad. But it's, I think it's the second thing that you said that's, that's especially difficult is that the connection that, then the brothers and sisters and mother, I mean, it's shocking that he calls us his mother, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, I, I still scratch my head on that one. But um, the ties that we have to one another and the things then that we do for one another, um, this is, the, I think, part of the challenge of uh, living together in the church. But it's also uh, part of the church's great witness is that um, the fellowship that we share with one another is... Um, you know, it is a new family. And, and you probably have people in your own congregation, Tim, I know I do, in my congregation, who uh, have found and will talk about the, the church as it's like a new family. And so that part of our witness shouldn't be overlooked, um, because it is, it is powerful for people, especially for people who, um, you know, maybe don't know the love of, a of you know, a, a healthy kind of family relationship. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I mean, that that's an image that is used throughout the Scriptures for the people of God as, as His family. It, it, there's baptismal connections that, that we could make where, where God puts His name on us. I think you, know, you were talking about what does it mean to do the will of the Father here, and Jesus here, it, Matthew tells us, He points to His disciples. Well, well later at the very end of Matthew's Gospel, He's going to tell his 11 at that point, to go and make disciples by baptizing yeah, them good. into the name, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And so here's here's this family continuing to grow 
through holy baptism. You, you talked about um, the the people in church, you know, who, who recognize what a blessing it is to have the family of God. One of the one of the psalms that's that I often use at the at a visitation for for a funeral. It's, it's in the pastoral care companion is Psalm twenty seven, um, and and it strikes me there, and I don't bring it up so much. I don't bring it so much up for that connection, but in, in Psalm 27, verse 10, this is David praying. He says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in, which is always striking in the, in the context of a funeral visitation. But I think it fits here too, is, is that even when our earth, I mean, our earthly families may forsake us, but the Lord, and then in connection, his church, this is, this is a tie that's even stronger that we have. And, and that, oh, that, that, I don't know that we fully grasp or appreciate the implications of, yeah. of that as the church today. Yeah, we, we got yeah, just I under think, two minutes uh, here, I Pastor Apple, <laughs> and we're just getting started, you, it feels you like. You can hear people. Yeah, no, I think this is a great place to end on. I think um, I think you hear, and, and I hope our listeners think about this in terms of the life of their own congregation and kind of the, the calling that we have, the, the calling that we have to support one another. This is becoming, I think, more and more critical uh, as we, you know, as the church becomes kind of, a, you know, a marginalized part of society, like if 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 our congregations are not, I don't want to overstate the case, right? But if our congregations are not uh, sharing this encouragement, the mutual encouragement that comes from meeting together and living together and eating together and worshiping together, all those things, um, I think our witness is is uh, severely damaged. You know, it, it's not totally lost, but this is an important part of, of what we show to the world. Pastor David Appold is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 50. Pastor Appold, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely, thank you. Jesus is the prophet greater than Jonah, the son of David greater than Solomon. Today, in his word... In his Holy Supper and his gift of baptism, you and I are privileged to be in his presence, to hear his own words, to be brought into faith in him, and to be made a part of his own family. With God as our Father, with Christ as our brother, we together are brothers and sisters in Christ, a stronger bond than even our blood relatives. What a joy it is to be a part of his church. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.